The following is a presentation from WDEV Radio. Fast-paced. It's like a good two-minute drill. We are just boom, 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 right down the field. Opinionated. If they take the David Price savings and the Mookie Betts savings and pocket the money, it will have been a lie, and the fan base will be furious. To the point. Cam is not that guy. He's not the kind of athlete that works in today's NFL for the most part. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. What's up, everybody? Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Final show of the week. We just It's our second show of the week. It's our last show of the week because we've got the holiday coming up. So we are, we are cramming stuff into today's show. It is just we have so much to get to, and we want you to be a part of it. Phil in Middlesex has already gotten in on the text line. You can too. Interactive show, that is the direction that we are going. We knew it was coming. We are pumped that it's gone this way. The show is now all of ours. 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Freddie Coleman of ESPN Radio will stop by at 545. My thoughts on Zdeno Chara leaving the Bruins at uh, at about 605. We'll get into that and a whole lot of stuff on the Patriots as well. So we are cramming a ton into 90 minutes. 802-585-3026. Guys, let's get right to it. Five, four, three, two, one. And here we go. All right, we're starting the show with the Patriots because we're not going to talk again before their final regular season game. There are There are two myths with the Patriots that we need to break and that we need to dispel right off the top of the show. Two myths. Number one is that this whole season is Cam's fault. That this is all Cam's fault. That is a myth. And two is that the COVID opt-outs coming back are just going to fix everything. So the two myths that this is all Cam's fault and that the COVID opt-outs are just going to fix everything. On the first point, This is not all Cam's fault. The coronavirus has factually impacted this season. The eight players opted out, especially on defense, that made the team worse. The team had an outbreak of its own. Its practice schedule, its routine were thrown off. Cam Newton got it himself, and we still don't know exactly how uh, how it affected him. It's not a total excuse for the team, but it is a valid reason for part of the team's issues this year. You can't pin the whole coronavirus situation and the team outbreak on camp. You you can't do that. Injuries have played a huge role in this season. And yes, injuries factor in for lots of teams. But New England was not immune either. We're going to give the San Francisco 49ers a free pass this year. Because of all the injuries, Jimmy Garoppolo didn't play a lot, and George Kittle didn't play a lot. We're gonna we're gonna give them a pass this season. When Aaron Rodgers was out for most of the year a couple of years ago, we gave Green Bay a pass. Now New England's not gonna get that pass from all of you because their quarterback was still there, and you're gonna choose to blame him. But the injuries were a factor in this year more so than they've been for the Patriots in a while. They lost their best wide receiver in Julian Edelman for most of the season. Damian Harris, their best running back, he was on injured reserve twice 
two separate occasions. They're, they're just god-awful tight end situation was made even worse when Ryan Izzo went on injured reserve. They lost Isaiah Wynn, their left tackle. They lost David Andrews, their center. They, they were on IR. They missed Shaq Mason at times this season. So the offensive line, which is an area they've invested a lot of money in and high draft capital in, it's been a revolving door. And when you have a new quarterback struggling to process and needing a little more time to make things happen, when you have an offensive line that is patchwork, Cam was always going to be impacted by that. Whoever the quarterback was was going to be impacted by that. Look, injuries impact all teams. Aaron Rodgers, he gets paid enough. He's expected to overcome injuries. When his team has injuries, Aaron Rodgers is good enough and paid highly enough that he's supposed to overcome. Russell Wilson is supposed to overcome. Tom Brady is supposed to overcome. Patrick Mahomes is supposed to overcome injuries. We never, ever said that Cam Newton needed to be on their level. He is not expected, in my mind, to have to overcome all of the injuries that this team has had to deal with. Injuries happen to everybody. Some quarterbacks are paid enough. They're supposed to be able to weather the storm. Cam Newton at making $1 million coming off, you know, really a year and a half of not playing football. He is not that guy to me. So I'm not holding the injuries against him. I'm using it as a as another explainer for this team's lack of success. And the other Look, this team just isn't very good. Okay, they, they have an aging roster where a lot of the key players are over 30. You're relying. That's just not how the league is anymore. You're not, you can't rely on 30-plus-year-olds to carry you at major positions continuously. You just can't. The young guys aren't quite ready. They weren't quite ready at the beginning of the year. And the old guys are old, and they're slow. And for as smart as they are, they lack the athleticism to... And they lack the athleticism to keep up with explosive offenses or to keep up with explosive defenses in the case of maybe Julian Edelman. It's just not what the league is now. The Patriots are smart, but they are old and they are slow. And that is not on Cam Newton either. The second reason, the second myth around this team, please do not tell me that the opt-out players coming back are just going to save the season next year and restore this team to greatness. It's not going to happen. If the Patriots get the opt-out players back, it will help, right, from a leadership standpoint, from an understanding of the scheme standpoint, an understanding with Belichick. All of that will help. But they're not saving the franchise. Dante Hightower is going to be 31 years old. He's been off injured in his career. He hasn't played in a year. He'll provide stability and leadership and can tutor younger players. But I just told you, I'm not relying on 30-plus-year-olds. Dante Hightower at 31, a year out of football, and off-injured in his career is not a guy I bank on next season. Patrick Chung is going to be 34 next year. No team has ever been built around a 34-year-old safety. Patrick Chung will help. He's a good piece He's nothing that you count on and say, okay, we're good now. Every player the Patriots bring back, Brandon Bolden, says he's coming back. Even Devin McCourty, who played this year, says he's coming back. These aging players over 30, they are 
stopgap pieces until younger pieces are ready to play. And that's how it is. Maybe having these guys pick up the Patriots another win next year, but it's not the difference between four and twelve and twelve and four. It's the difference between six and six and eleven, and now seventeen games next year. Between six and eleven and seven and ten. I mean, Patrick Chung is not making no Vegas line has ever moved because Patrick Chung was playing or not playing. The two myths about this team are that Cam is the only problem and that the opt-out guys are going to fix everything. They're not. The the opt-out guys are band-aids for this team. They need to get younger. They need to get more athletic. The older guys, I welcome their leadership, but they are not guys that are going to save the 2021 Patriots. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. If you want to get in, you can, 802-585-3026. That's 802-585-3026. Getting a message in from uh, Jim in South Burlington who says, Brady, I agree. It's been interesting to watch Cam this year, but uh, it certainly is not all his fault. He's had bad games, but he's had very little help around him. Getting another one in from uh, Ross up in Highgate Center. Must be listening online. Uh, or we've got a very clear signal tonight, but he says, yeah, Brady, I agree. Hightower, Chung, they're not guys that you can rely on. Maybe they can can help, but they still need to get Kyle Duggar in there more regularly next year. I even have liked Adrian Phillips this year, he says, and I, Ross, have liked Adrian Phillips too. All right, we do this every single Wednesday just because we're off the rest of the week. I'm not bagging it. Midweek questions. Midweek questions. Does Cam Newton even want to play this Sunday. It looks like he's going to. But does Cam Newton even want to start this Sunday? I truly think that Cam Newton doesn't want to start this week, but he knows that he has to start this week. And what I mean is this. And do you think that Cam Newton wants to get to start this week? You can send in a text. I think in Cam's mind, He's mentally exhausted, and he'd welcome the break from not starting. The break from the preparations, the break from the questions, the break from the criticisms, the break from the possible self-doubt that would accompany another bad performance. Heck, even in a good performance, I don't think Cam would gain confidence from that. I think he'd just look at a good performance as relief, and he'd still have self-doubt going into the offseason. I think Cam would welcome a physical break, too. And he probably just wants to get back to training and trying to make gains. In season in the NFL isn't about physical gains. It's about maintenance and learning about your teammates and a team game and a game plan and working with your wide receivers. The offseason, now that's a selfish time. That's for you. And I think that's where Cam is looking forward to getting back to a spot where he can get his body right, where he can maybe rework his mechanics if he thinks he needs to. He can strength train. He can get on a backfield with no pressure and just throw and know that it doesn't mean something that's life or death at that moment. He can truly just work. I really believe Cam Newton does not want to start this game on Sunday. He's ready for the offseason. He's beaten down, and he's broken right now. But Cam Newton is smart enough to know that he has to start, even though he doesn't want to. He's very intuitive. He sees the landscape of the league, right? He knows 
his best chance to play next year and to have any kind of secured future is with the New England Patriots. And he simply can't risk Jared Stidham starting and playing well and moving above him in the coach's eyes. Because, look, it's obvious to us on the outside. It's obvious to us on the outside that the coaches don't love Jared Stidham. Otherwise, he would have played already this year. You know, he would have started already. He would have started when Cam was out with COVID. He didn't. It's obvious to us that Stidham isn't the answer. But when you are as in your own head as Cam is, and when you are as as what I would think paranoid as Cam is about his own NFL future, you can't take any chance at letting a perceived threat in the door. If that door opens and Stidham plays well, then... Cam's staring down a situation where he may never get another chance in the NFL. So for as much as I think Cam knows he'd be better off not playing this week, he simply can't allow Jared Stidham the opportunity to turn some heads. Because if he does, he's going to spend the offseason wondering even more than he already will. I like Cam Newton. I think he is completely broken right now and completely internally looking forward to the offseason. But he knows he's got to play this week because if Stidham gets a chance, Cam may never get another one. And I think Cam Newton is smart enough and intuitive enough to recognize that. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Show sponsored by the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. All right, so I think Cam doesn't want to start, but knows he has to start. Am I right or am I crazy? Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio. He's going to tell us next on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. One of the nicest guys in sports talk radio and one of the smartest. We thought the Patriots, that they're very good at keeping information from getting out. They're better than the FBI and the CIA. It's time for our weekly conversation with ESPN's Freddie Coleman on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. It's the Brady Farkas Show right here, day before New Year's Eve on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. As we do every single Wednesday at this time, it's our guy, Freddie Coleman. You can check him out weeknights on ESPN Radio right here on WDEV at 9 p.m. Freddie, how are you? Hope you had a great holiday. I certainly did, Brady. I really appreciate you asking about that. And it's always good to have a chance to spend with family, although... We made sure it's not going to be a super spreader event from that standpoint. We just kept it close to the vest with just a couple of family members. Well, glad you had a good one. And, you know, we were just talking about this. Um, Do you think – I think Cam Newton is going to start on Sunday for the Patriots against the Jets, but he appears broken. Do you think he wants to start, or do you think he just kind of wants the relief of not playing Sunday? I think he wants to play because I heard and saw what he had to say about feeling that he let himself down and feeling that he has not achieved anything and that the season is broken because he put so much hard work into what he was trying to do being the starting quarterback this year for the New England Patriots. So I firmly believe that he wants to be out there being the starting quarterback. And I don't think it has so much Brady to do with being the Patriots quarterback in 2021, but also being an NFL quarterback in 2021 because now people have tape of Cam Newton as healthy as he's going to be the rest of his career. 
And do they believe he can still be a viable starter in the National Football League? Or do the Patriots believe that they have to move on to somebody else? So I get this is that Cam Newton wants to be out there because he wants to play number one. But number two, playing for his football life and not just with the New England Patriots. When you look at the Patriots, we all say, you know, pretty obviously, they need to get weapons. Do you think they're an attractive destination for free agents this offseason? Boy, that's a good question because I never thought about it from that standpoint because, and we talked about this before, my friend, more than ever before, if you're Bill Belichick, you got to hit on guys. you got to hit on playmakers, especially offensively, whether it's the NFL draft or free agency, without Tom Brady being there because that was the caveat, and that's nothing against Bill Belichick. But players want to play with guys that they really enjoy playing with or if you get a chance to play for an Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, you know what kind of coach you're getting into. Bill Belichick is still an old-school dude in a new-school way when it comes to the 21st century, but that doesn't mean that he's an attractive piece for free agents out there that may just not want to make that a money grab. We know the page are not going to overextend when it comes to finances and it comes to free agents. So that's going to be an interesting question, how that's going to be answered. If a free agent is going to sign with the Patriots, unless they get a quarterback, if they don't believe they have a quarterback right now, then what is going to be the attractive place when it comes to the Patriots that somebody's going to say, yep, I want to go there and not just for the money. You know, Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels could leave in the offseason. He's always linked to head coaching jobs. He says he wants to be a head coach again. Is he a guy that you think of, though, as head coaching material? I think he is a head coach material, and I think he could be a terrific head coach, and I firmly believe he's waiting to be the head coach of the New England Patriots. I think that's the job he's always wanted. There was no reason to me to not take the Indianapolis coach yeah. job when Andrew Luck was going to be a quarterback. So I don't know if he's got any kind of assurances from Bill Belichick or maybe Robert Kraft, the coach and owner, respectively, in terms of being that quarterback, being that head coach, excuse me, and taking over the football team. I firmly believe he wants to be the Patriots head coach and finish his career there after being an offense coordinator with the Patriots. And people have come along and said that opportunity was there, but Josh McDaniels decided not to take it. So I wonder how much of that, Brady, is because he's been assured that whenever Bill Belichick decides to go off into that coaching sunset, that this is going to be his job being the head coach during the Patriots. You know, Freddie, we see teams come and go every year. They're, they win a division one year, and then we don't hear from them for a couple of years. With what we saw from Buffalo on Monday night, do you think they have the kind of staying power that you would need to be really, really good for a long time in the AFC East, or can the Pats come back relatively quickly and overtake them? Well, I've always been a big believer that the NFL is no longer a year-to-year league. It's a second-to-second league where you can be 4-12 and one year and the next year you're 12-4 and and competing in the playoffs and getting a chance to go to the Super Bowl. I give you the San Francisco 49ers. Mm-hmm. In the Super Bowl last year, they should have so many injuries that they're last in the NFC West. But I look at the Buffalo Bills. They have what you would believe that could be staying power in this division. One, you got your quarterback in Josh Allen. Many people poo-pooed that pick when they said, man, Patrick Mahomes in the draft and all those other guys, why did you take this guy? And look what Josh Allen's been able to do. He would be a legitimate MVP candidate if Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes and Derrick Henry weren't playing in the NFL this year. That's how terrific he's been. But they also want to have one of the better coaches that does not get talked about in the NFL when it comes to Sean McDermott, who's done a really good job not only motivating his team during games, but leading in terms of preparation before those games get started. But players really love playing for him. They love playing and being a part of that playing that playing staff or that coaching staff that they have in Buffalo. When you have those two components together, I'm not going to say they're going to go on the run. What we saw from the Buffalo Bills in the 90s, we have Marv Levy as your coach, you had Jim Kelly as your quarterback, and all those pieces around them. But this is very similar to what they were able to do because 
they have playmakers on offense. They got a, a Diggs over here. They got a, a Cole Beasley over there. They got a running game. They got a tough offensive line. They got a pretty good defense. Those are the things that really make the Buffalo Bills the AFC team in the 90s when they went to four straight Super Bowls, even though they didn't win. So right now, they have the making of a team that could be on a serious run in the AFC East. But we've seen it before, Brady. You could be headline news one day, and then the next minute you're garbage news the next day because that's how the NFL is always going to be going forward, and that's been that way for the last 10 to 15 years. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio, with us every single Wednesday at this time right here on the Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. You can check out Freddie and Fitzsimmons weeknights, 9 p.m. right here on WDEV. I want to move Freddie to the NBA. So the Celtics, they're 2-2. Two and two. They're getting valuable contributions, though, from a rookie named Peyton Pritchard. He had 10 points yesterday. Yeah. He was a four-year player at Oregon and the Pac-12 Player of the Year. Why do more teams, why do more fans not value the long-term college player? Everybody wants the one-and-done guy, but why Peyton Pritchard, four years in college, seems to be transitioning nicely to the NBA? Because we've been sold, or at least people tried to sell other people. They haven't sold me, but other people have been sold on the fact that if you're in college too long, that means you're not an NBA player, which is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard of. If you're a talented player, it should not matter if you went to college for one year or if you went overseas, you didn't want to go to college or you played three or four years in school. If you are a talented player, you'll find your way to stay in the NBA for a long, long time. J.J. Redick faced those kind of things, too, coming out of Duke, where people said, well, he's too much of a shooter. We know if he's going to be a good defender. But if he was really that good, why did he play at Duke that long? And I said to myself, well, if he's a talented guy, it shouldn't matter that he wanted to play in college as long as he wanted to play in school, or if he did not want to do that when it comes to Duke. So many people have put that narrative out there, Brady, that if you're in college too long, that if you're not a one-year wonder in college, that if you stay another year, that means you're less than your NBA stock. How many guys have we seen in the NBA now that may not be superstars but find their way on rosters? I mean, Tyler Hero heard about that, that he should stay in school. So that narrative always is going to change based on how they feel about a player. Because Tyler Hill, look what he's been able to do with the Miami yeah. Heat after one year, where that guy has the makings of being a potential star in the NBA. But yet, a Dwayne Wade played three years at Marquette, and he left before his senior year. And many people said that was the right decision. So you're saying that if he decided to say one more year to play with his buddies at Marquette, that would have been the wrong decision? So many times the narrative to me is going to be dictated what they think about a player, how they feel about a player's upside. People looked at Peyton Pritchard and said, yeah, he should have stayed in school. So he does that. He got better and better. He's going to be a terrific player for the Celtics being that combo guard. But yet many people said that, why was he there for four years at Oregon? You can't have it both ways to suit your agenda because that's what this comes down to. Whatever agenda people want to push out there, they're going to push that narrative. And then you get players who don't get the respect they deserve and other players getting too much respect when they really don't deserve that. Freddie, are you a New Year's resolution guy? Never, never been one. Yeah, me either. See, I, I've never understood it. I always just like, hey, if you have a if you have an issue or a, or a problem in quotes that you want to fix, fix it that day. Don't just wait until January first. Well, you know what it is, Brady. People always want to believe that once New Year's Day starts, that that is a clean slate for the whole year. That's placing a lot of pressure on anybody individually yeah. to say, okay, from this point on, everything is going to be better than last year. You know how you make things better in your life over a year period? You make sure that each day is better than the year before. If you had a great day on Monday, make Tuesday better. If you had a terrible day on Tuesday, make Wednesday better. That's why I've never been a resolution kind of guy. And each and every time I drive past a gym, it's like the ultimate New Year's resolution <laughs> where January 2nd, January 3rd, 
Everybody is gung-ho. They're going to lose weight. They're going to be in better shape. Then January 15th rolls around. There are less people. Then February 12th rolls around. There are less people. And then March 1st is back to the same old, same old when it comes <laughs> to that. Those are New Year's resolutions are to me. Everybody's gung-ho on January 1st, January 2nd. Then by January 10th, well, maybe I'll do it tomorrow. Then by January 31st, maybe I'll try it next week. <laughs> and then by March 1st, they're back to the way they were in December, making up these resolutions to make themselves better. I'm not a resolution guy, and I'm not a, like, on uh, December 25th telling everyone see you next year ha 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 i don't like that joke freddie yeah yeah i'm not a big fan of that because we know a next year is coming and believe me especially after the year that plenty of us have gone through when it comes to pandemic covid 19 2020 plenty of us are looking towards december 31st and january 1st new year's eve leading into new years but it's not so much about just wiping away what happened in 2020 brady because we know we're not going to do that what can we do to make things better not just from an individual standpoint but also a collective standpoint if we can band together as human beings, no matter where you are, no matter what you do, to try to make things better for ourselves and everybody else, then slowly but surely we're going to find a way to overcome this pandemic. If we think that we have to get back to the normal that we had in 2019, then you're fooling yourself because you don't have a hot tub time machine that can do stuff like that. Try to make each day better for yourself and everybody else, and you'd be amazed how much progress we'll be able to make inside and outside of sports. I don't know about Josh McDaniels being a head coach, but Freddie Coleman's got me inspired, so that's what I could say. You could be (laughs) my head coach maybe more so than Josh McDaniels. Freddie Coleman, ESPN Radio. Freddie, we wish you a safe and happy new year, and we will talk to you again next week. And look forward to listening to to your show, 9 p.m. weeknights again in 2021. My pleasure, my friend. Have a happy new year and a blessed new year as well, Brady, and you take care. I will. Thank you very much. Freddie Coleman, simply uh, one of the best. Always gracious with his time with us every single uh, Wednesday at 545. Love having our, our all of our great insiders. Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus, Bob Sosi, Voice of the Patriots, Freddie Coleman. You know, it's exciting. As we get towards New Year's on this show, you know, we're going to change up some things too. The text line is already in. As we get out of Patriots season. We'll still talk football, but we will, you know, transition to a more diversified show. And, you know, we knew that when this show started, it was going to be very, very football heavy because that's what was being played. And we just acquired the Patriots games on this station. So we really, really wanted to kind of go all in on the Pats. And when we did, they were still very much in the thick of the playoff race. And now that their season's going to be ending, we're going to be able to transition into baseball and spring training and hot stove and Celtics and Bruins. And we'll get to the Zdeno Chara stuff on the other side of the hour and UVM so and, and local racing. And we got so much stuff for this show. It's really going to be great. We'll step aside. We'll get a break. We'll come back. Freddie Coleman takeaways. And Josh McDaniels wants another chance at a head coaching job. I wouldn't hire him. I'll tell you why. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, welcome back. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Text line open, 802-585-3026, 26. We'll get to our Freddie Coleman takeaways momentarily. Reminder, subscribe to the full show podcast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and at WDEVradio.com. And we do have uh, a lot of great stuff planned for you here over the weekend. Buster Olney, Vermont native, is going to join me on Friday. So that interview is going to be posted this weekend on the podcast channel. So you will only be able to get it by subscribing to the podcast channel or by going to our website. So even though we won't have a show, we will continue to put out really cool stuff. And I'm really Looking forward to it. So, Freddie Coleman takeaways coming soon, but 
Patriots offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels wants to be a head coach again in the NFL. I wouldn't hire him. I would not hire Josh McDaniels. And look, here's McDaniels yesterday when asked about it. Absolutely. Definitely want to do that. Um, You know, I'd love to have the opportunity if it presents itself. McDaniels was a head coach for a year and a half in Denver before being fired. He was an offensive coordinator for one season in St. Louis with the Rams. And he's been the offensive coordinator in New England for more than a decade across two separate stints. I've often said that I don't like Josh McDaniels. And I've really tried to figure out why. I've called him unlikable. I've talked about it from a football standpoint, his use of personnel groupings or play calling and him bailing on the Colts and how he's unlikable. And all all of that truly does matter to me. But I've still continued to try to look deeper and really figure out what this is, why I don't love McDaniels. I think it's something else. The, the bailing on the Colts matters to me. The play calling at times I think is wonky, but I've got to, you know, I, a couple weeks ago I came to the realization that I was too hard on him for that. Personnel grouping sometimes are wonky, but it's something else. I simply don't think that Josh McDaniels has any charisma, and that is why I would not hire him as an NFL head coach. He has no it factor with him. And I think that you need to have an it factor. You've got to have something. Okay. When I think of head coaches that are getting hired now, they all have something. And maybe it's superficial, but Cliff Kingsbury, he looks good. And he looks like he can command the room. Yeah, he's young, he's good looking, he's got energy. He has the look to him. Sean McVay has the look to him. Young, good looking aspirational, creative, outside-the-box thinker. He's also a phenomenal public speaker. I could see him rallying the locker room. I can't see Josh McDaniels rallying the locker room. I just can't. And I think you've got to have the ability to lead, the ability to inspire, the ability to motivate. And I don't see that from McDaniels. And that, to me, is the issue. Above everything else, and I've gone through this for years where I've said I don't like McDaniels, and it's always been to me, I don't like him, but why? He doesn't feel like a guy that you can rally behind. He doesn't feel like a guy who's going to inspire 53 players on Sunday. Okay, Sean McDermott's fiery. He's a good speaker. He's a rah-rah guy with a lot of energy. I've seen him in the locker room after games. His guys believe in him. Kyle Shanahan has an it factor. Okay. Kevin Stefanski was probably, you know, like that's one who I probably would have not been on board with last year. Another kind of just kind of plain Jane guy. But he's proven to be just smart enough to be a good head coach. So fine. I would have been wrong on him. Joe Judge is a fantastic orator. When that guy speaks, I'm ready to run through a wall. I don't ever get that impression from Josh McDaniels. I can't see him being a guy to handle the media each week, to control an entire organization. I just don't see it. I don't doubt that McDaniels knows football, right? Josh McDaniels has forgotten more football this week than I have ever learned. And and I, I don't doubt that at all. But I don't doubt that Matt Patricia knew football. 
Matt Patricia knows football really well, much better than me. Couldn't rally people. Players in Detroit wouldn't buy into him. Adam Gase, I don't doubt, knows football. A report says he's going to be fired by the New York Jets after Sunday's game with the Patriots. Dan Quinn knows football. Fired in Atlanta. Never could figure out how to get his organization past blowing a 28-3 lead to the Patriots. These guys, they know football. They know schemes. They know play calls. They know players. They don't know how to, to rally and lead and communicate and inspire. And that is what I see being the problem for Josh McDaniels. I know he can sit down on a bench next to Tom Brady. I don't know if he can stand up in front of the locker room and command 53 people. Joe Judge, I have no doubt about that. Sean McVay, I have no doubt about that. Pete Carroll, I have no doubt about that. Guys who get fired, oftentimes, I wonder, they know football. Were they great leaders? Were they great motivators? And that is my biggest fear with McDaniels. I mean, I can see Joe Judge owning the interview room. I can see a six-hour interview where Joe Judge is there, where Sean McVay is there, and you're hanging on every word, every thought, and every idea. I don't see that from Josh McDaniels. I don't. Even, like, Lane Kiffin even has charisma. That's how he keeps getting all these jobs, because he has the it factor. Josh McDaniels doesn't have the it factor to me. I can't see it. Do you think Josh McDaniels would be a good head coaching candidate. Can you see him owning the room? 802-585-3026. And then, like, maybe part of it is we never hear McDaniels speak. We always see Belichick. We never hear McDaniels. And McDaniels feels somewhat hidden to me. But Robert Sala, the defensive coordinator for the 49ers, that guy's everywhere. He's a little too over the top for me, but he's got something. Guys believe in him. I don't see that from Josh McDaniels. Maybe Belichick doesn't let him. And if he doesn't let him, I think he's hindered McDaniels' development. And then there is the football side of things. Of course McDaniels knows football. But there's the question lingering now, how good is he without Tom Brady? Because he was the head coach for a year and a half in Denver and got fired. He went to the Rams. and He's been with the Pats now without Brady. And the offensive output isn't great. Here's Colin Cowherd, Fox Sports Radio. In my opinion, the best national radio host there is. He's asking the question, how good is McDaniels without Brady? Oh, it was 11-17, and 17, fired after two years. And in scoring in the NFL, it was 20th and 19th. The system... Then moved to St. Louis. McDaniels got fired, went to the Rams. Let's see how the system did in scoring. Oh, it was 32nd in the NFL in scoring, dead last. Okay, all right. We'll give him a quarterback. All right, let's give him Cam Newton in the system. He's a former MVP. Well, they're, they're 28th in scoring. We just haven't seen McDaniels be good ever without Brady. I've come, I've walked back my claims that I had for years that McDaniels is a bad play caller. I think he's done a lot of creative things. I think that he's helped this team immensely in terms of his ability to scheme up something. I, I'm lamenting on that. 
but do we trust that he can help mold another quarterback? That he can identify the right quarterback for a franchise? He drafted Tim Tebow. He drafted Tim Tebow, who a lot of people had doubts about. Do you trust that he can find the next quarterback? Do you trust that he can develop the next quarterback for your franchise? On the other side, Tom Curran, NBC Sports Boston Patriots expert, he loves McDaniels. Hard. You have to understand the nuance of what's going on here in the last two years, especially to understand how good a job McDaniels is doing. And my God, whether you're listening to talk radio or on social media or even on our email chains in the office sometimes, the ability for people to not recognize Josh McDaniels is preserving the Patriots' chances in so many games. Yes, he has helped this team this year with his play calling. But the development of the offense as a whole, it hasn't been that great. And so McDaniels is a good schemer. When you're the head coach, you don't have the time to just be a play caller and just be a schemer and to do what you like to do. Being the head coach is about running everything. It's about being the CEO of the organization. And I don't see McDaniels doing that. I don't see him running a staff of 30. I don't see him uh, making sure that the players are following the right protocol. I just don't see that. I see a guy who sits in his room and diagrams plays, and lots of people can do that. But when they try to become head coaches, they often struggle and they have to give it up. Andy Reid's got a great offense, right? He's given up play calling in the past. He's allowed Matt Nagy in one spot and Eric Bieniemy to take over the offense. Matt Nagy had to give up play calling in Chicago just to save his job so he could focus on other things. Adam Gase has has, debated whether to give up play calling. I once interviewed Tony Dungy, and he said the biggest mistake that coaches make is trying to do everything. The great play calling got the guy the job, but then they want to keep doing it, and it's really hard. McVay's done it. Shanahan's done it. But... Not everybody can do it. And I don't know that Josh McDaniels could be the great schemer and the great leader that he would need to be. I just don't know. I mean, he doesn't inspire me. Josh McDaniels' personality does not inspire me. As a former college athlete, all I was looking for from a coach was confidence, belief, and to be inspired. And I don't get that from Josh McDaniels. I see a smart guy who knows football who's creative in his game plan. That is a very small part of being an NFL head coach. Okay? Right now, my job at this radio station is pretty cut and dry. Do the news and do the sports show. And all I do, all I do is find content for the news and develop this sports show and do the two broadcasts. They have not asked me like, and by the way, this is what I'm good at, or what I hope I'm good at, talking and developing content. But if I were running everything here, I'd be doing sales, and I'd be managing interns, and I'd be hiring part-timers, and I'd be making sure everybody in here was following COVID protocol, and I'd be scheduling, you know, helping the engineer schedule the Red Sox game to go on the station, or the Patriots game. I'd be doing all of that if I were the guy in charge. And it would take me away from the thing that I am good at and bring on 19 other responsibilities that I don't even want to do, but I'd have to. And Josh McDaniels, I don't see him doing that. 
It's a Brady Fark. By the way, but that said, if McDaniels gets a shot, he's got to take it. There's no more waiting around for him as far as I'm concerned because all he's doing is hurting his own star here. If the offense is going to look this bad again next year, potentially, and it could, then McDaniels is only hurting himself. If he gets the job, he's got to take it. I wouldn't hire him, but if somebody will, he's got to do it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right. I want to get to our Freddie Coleman takeaways here. Peyton Pritchard last night for the Boston Celtics scored 10 points, and he's been a really big, bright spot for this team in the early part of the season, especially with Kemba Walker out so far through these, through these first four games. Peyton Pritchard was a four-year college player at Oregon, was a Pac-12 player of the year. There is a perception around basketball circles that if you are a guy who stays in college – that you are essentially worthless. People do not like four-year college players anymore. I asked Freddie Coleman why. Here's what he said. Because we've been sold, or at least people tried to sell other people. They haven't sold me, but other people have been sold on the fact that if you're in college too long, that means you're not an NBA player, which is one of the dumbest things I've ever heard of. I ha- I, I mean, I admit this, right? We're four games in. I don't fully understand. You know, I don't have a full understanding of Peyton Pritchard's game. Very good shooter historically at Oregon. He's played well, double-figure scorer yesterday, 27 minutes he played for for the Celtics and helping them come back and beat the Indiana Pacers. I completely agree with what Freddie says on on the surface, though. Peyton Pritchard played 161 career college games at Oregon. He played in the NCAA tournament. He played in a program with expectations, was the best player in a conference. He can clearly play... And in this year, he's probably uniquely qualified for the NBA because he's played enough basketball that he didn't just need a preseason. A lot of guys that are one and done, they need the preseason, and they need um, summer league, and they need the time to develop, and they need practice. Peyton Pritchard, he didn't get that. But because he's played 160 games, he is probably uniquely qualified to step up and just – be good right away. I mean, in college, Peyton Pritchard got to a regional semifinal. He got to a Sweet 16. He's played games with some pressure. 24 and 7, 25 and 13, 25 and 13, 33 and 6, what I believe here to be his freshman year. It was. He went 33 and 6 and got to the final four his freshman year. Peyton Pritchard has has played in games with pressure. He, he understands what he's doing. People want the one and done for this reason. Because Peyton Pritchard's already 22 years old. If a team takes a 19-year-old, they just assume that with that extra three years that Pritchard was in college, if their guy was in the NBA, he's getting better coaching and he's going to develop quicker. Maybe, maybe you know what, that's probably true. But you see what happens to the Phoenix Suns. You get these young guys and they're sometimes immature and they're sometimes growing into their body, and they're sometimes not ready, and the team is losing. So now you've developed them, and then they want to leave because they're good enough now, and they're going to go sign deals other places. I mean, that that's what you deal with in a lot of these places. You draft guys, you develop them, and then they want out because the team is no good, a la Anthony Davis. What could happen to uh, you know, DeAndre Ayton with the Suns? That's what happens to these guys. Peyton Pritchard should not be penalized for being a four-year college player. No one has said 
that Peyton Pritchard needs to be Zion. But four-year college players can carve out nice roles in the NBA. Buddy Heald was a National Player of the Year, has carved out a, a very serviceable NBA career. I still think Jimmer Fredette got screwed. I think he could have had a carved-out role in the NBA. J.J. Reddick's done it. Kyle Korver did it. Okay, Ray Allen did it. Like Guys going back have been able to play college basketball and be good coming into the NBA. Baseball players come out of college and do well. Football players come out of college and do well. Basketball players can too. You should not have it held against you that you played in college for a long time. Peyton Pritchard, 161 games of experience. A Final Four his freshman year. A Sweet 16 his junior year. A Player of the Year in the Pac-12. He knows what he's doing. And this year, he's more valuable than ever because he has a lot of tangible game experience. Aaron Neesmith, their other first-round pick, didn't play yesterday. That simple. It's that simple. The guy shouldn't have it held against him that he stayed in college longer than other NBA people or NBA fans would like. It's a Brady Farkas show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, you heard from Colin Cowherd earlier. He had a question. He had a question. The Patriots had a top 10 offense last year in scoring under Tom Brady. He asked the question, how did they do that with almost the same talent that Cam Newton is struggling with? I've got the answer. I'm going to tell you. I figured out the question here. The Patriots had a top 10 offense last year, scoring-wise. How? I've got the answer. That's next. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Now it's back to the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Welcome back. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We'll get to my thoughts on Zidane Chara in just a couple of minutes, but Fox Sports radio host Colin Cowherd wants to know how the Patriots, with this offense, almost the same offense, at least skill-wise, skill player-wise, how this offense was a top 10 offense in scoring last year and 28th this year. Here was Colin asking the question on Fox Sports Radio. I'm going to ask you a question. Try to figure out the answer. New England had a top 10 scoring offense last year. How? Okay, and he was saying this as part of context, for more context, that Tom Brady was actually underrated in New England that he was the thing that propped up this team last year. And with him, they had a top-10 scoring offense. And this year with Cam, without Brady, and really the rest of the same cast of characters almost, it's near the bottom of the league. So Colin asks how. I've got the answer. Let's understand this. The Patriots went 12-4 and and won a division last year, and it was a complete mirage. It's that simple. Brady was better than Cam, yes. But the stats, the record, is not the real reflection of what this team was. Think about this. The Dolphins last year traded away Minka Fitzpatrick, right? They traded away their best player. They were tanking, we thought. They were tanking for Tua, we thought at the time. The Dolphins started out 0-7. The Patriots beat them 43 to nothing. So they got a lot of points against a team who traded away their best defensive player and we thought they were trying to lose on purpose. 43 nothing. That's an inflated offensive number there. Not really reflective of 
how good the team was. The Jets started out 1-7, and and the Patriots played them in one of those games when they started Luke Falk at quarterback. And I think, I think Luke Falk threw for less than 100 yards. So what does that mean? means, well, you're going to have quicker possessions for the Jets. They're constantly punting. You're getting the ball more, longer time of possession, more chances to score. You're able to inflate things. Other team can't hold the ball. You can score more. The Pats then also had a very favorable schedule. They saw Washington, who ended up picking second in the draft, and Colt McCoy started that game. They saw the Giants, who picked number three in the draft, and a rookie Daniel Jones started that game. And, oh, by the way, the Patriots scored five defensive touchdowns last season, and the defense, or in the special teams, rather, scored two. Five defensive touchdowns, two special teams touchdowns. So, put it all together, seven non-offensive touchdowns for the Patriots last season. And you know what? One of the, one of the interesting things about the NFL is, when you score defensive and special teams touchdowns, it counts for your total points, and that's where Collins is saying the Patriots were top 10. Points per game. Well, Tom Brady didn't score those seven touchdowns. The offense didn't even score those seven touchdowns, but it all gets counted in the same pile. So when you ask the question, how was this offense top 10 in scoring last year with Brady? Well, pretty simple. They played a very favorable schedule. They also saw the Cincinnati Bengals, who picked number one in the draft. So they saw the Bengals, picked one. Washington, who picked two. The Giants, who picked three. The Browns, who were under 500. The defense scored five touchdowns. Special teams scored two, and it all goes in the same batch. That's how the Patriots had a top 10 scoring offense. It wasn't all Tom Brady. And the Patriots' defense also forced the most turnovers in the NFL last year. Guys, look that up for me. Tell me how many turnovers the Patriots forced in 2019. Because they had the best turnover differential in the NFL. Takeaways last season for the Patriots. All right, that's uh, the 2019 stat. Let's get to 2021. Uh, okay, overall takeaways last year, New England Patriots second. 36. They had the most interceptions, though, and the best uh, uh, overall turnover margin. Second most takeaways last year. So they forced the second most takeaways in the NFL. So how many times did the defense set the Patriots up in advantageous situations? Plenty. Remember when the Browns fumbled like three times in a row? Three plays in a row the Browns fumbled against the Patriots. How many times did the Pats gain the benefit of their defense putting them in a great situation? That's what happened last year. The 12-4 record was a mirage, product of a bad schedule, product of playing some rebuilding teams, and product of that defense creating a ton of advantageous scoring opportunities and scoring themselves a lot. It wasn't just because Brady was better. Brady was better, but you're not looking at this team and last year's team and saying it's oh Brady would have made the world a difference. He wouldn't have. Because last year when the turnovers dried up for that defense, when the Pats started playing better teams back half of the season and the turnovers forced dried up, Patriots went 4-5 and five down the stretch. They were average to below average. They were average. In the last nine games last year, 
the last nine games last year, the Patriots broke 25 points once. One time. And it was against the Bengals, who picked number one in the draft. Brady, Colin Stein, you know, Brady was great. He was the whole reason the whole thing worked last year. Well, he certainly helped, of course. I would never take that away from him, because it's true. Brady does help. But when the turnover stopped getting forced and the competition got better, the Pats went 4-5, and five, and they scored 25 points or more once. Heck, I mean, where, where six of those last nine games, Brady threw for under 225 yards. He was looking to rely on the defense and rely on the running game. And the offense last year had Josh Gordon and had Antonio Brown for a while. They knew the offense was bad. They were trying to do different things. Brady wasn't able to prop up everything. They wouldn't have needed Antonio Brown if they thought Brady could just carry it. He couldn't. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. All right, the news came out about two hours ago. Zdeno Chara done with the Boston Bruins after 14 years. He got there in 2006. He captained three teams that went to the Stanley Cup final, including the Bruins' last title team back in 2011 when they beat Vancouver. And my first reaction is not even about what this does or doesn't do for the Bruins on the ice. I truly don't know how much Zdeno Chara has left, right? 43 years old, physical sport at a physical position. They've got young players that are good. I mean, I love Charlie McAvoy on the on you know on D for the for the bees. I, I don't know what this does yet on the ice. I got time over the long weekend to fully digest this. What I do know is that in 2020, we have seen the Re- the Red Sox lose Mookie Betts, the Patriots lose Tom Brady, possibly Julian Edelman, and now the Bruins have lost Adano Chara. This is a bad year for icons of Boston sports. Brady's gone. Edelman might be gone. The Patriots' dynasty ends. The Red Sox go under 500. Alex Cora gets suspended for a year. And now Zdeno Chara is gone. The Bruins will still be good, right? They were very good last year. They led the league in points prior to the, the league shutting down for COVID. The Bruins will still be good. Marshawn, Pasternak should be back from their injuries. Patrice Bergeron, still very good. Tuka Rask is back as well. Halak is still there as the backup netminder. I'm sure the Bees will be good. But Zdeno Chara being gone is certainly the end of an era, and it's been a lot of end-of-the-era conversation in Boston sports this year. So uh, we'll probably have some stuff on the podcast feed over this weekend about Chara and about his exit from Boston. I was surprised to read that the Bruins told him they didn't want him back. I just kind of assumed it was, you know, maybe Char was going to get more money. He ended up signing with Washington, by the way, with the Capitals. Maybe he was going to get more money. Maybe they were offering offering him a bigger role. But the Bruins said, "We don't flat out. We don't want you. We're going younger here." And that very well might be the more the the, the right decision for the organization. Again, I got to really look at this. This is all very fresh to me, but. You know, to to franchise icons don't always get treated that way. It was interesting that Chara uh, came out and said that. He did express his love for the Bruins, his adoration for the community, for the city, for everybody within the organization. So, I mean, there's still a love fest going on there between Chara and the Bruins and between the city of Boston and between the fans. But uh, very interesting to see that. 
All right, let's get to uh, Daily Dose of Doug. Let's hear what Flutie has to say. So Brady does a podcast with former Patriots quarterback Doug Flutie. Doug is a lot more famous than Brady. Flutie flushed, throws it down, caught by Boston College. I don't believe it. Doug is a lot smarter than Brady. Spread him out, throw the ball over the field, five yards at a time, basketball on grass, and go down the field. So let's listen to Doug. It's our daily dose of Doug on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Text line is open, 802-585-3026. Dane in Rochester says, I got to say, I'm a uh, Chara fan. I wish him all the best. Ovechkin and Chara, watch out for the Washington Capitals. So you can get in as well. Remember, on that podcast channel, I will try to find somebody here uh, over the holiday weekend to talk about Chara with. So subscribe to the Brady Farkas Show podcast on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, and you will be able to – to hear that interview, Buster Olney of ESPN is going to talk baseball with me as well. He's a Randolph Center Vermont native, so I'm looking forward to reconnecting with Buster. I used to talk with him every single week. I talked with him at a couple of my former employers. He's a great guy, and uh, I, I love talking to him, so kind of a chance for us to reconnect. That'll be up probably on Friday would be my best guess uh, over the holidays. All right, as for uh, Daily Dose of Doug, so I said yesterday on the air that if I were the Patriots, I would strongly look into trading Stephon Gilmore. I would strongly look into trading Stephon Gilmore. Flutie told me he is having absolutely none of that. We talked about the streak that the Patriots had making the playoffs. Yeah, it doesn't just happen. You don't you don't throw away a season ever, in my mind. And I know that you know salary cap reasons wise, you dump players at one point, and then you're kind of rebuilding and getting it going. But, you know, their, their expectation and all the fans' expectation going into next year is going to be, let's be a playoff team and let's make a run at this again and let's get it back. So he wants to keep Gilmore and he wants to instantly be right back in the mix. And I would trade Gilmore. I get why Flutie thinks this way, though. He looks at this with the view of a player because he was a player. He's a player for a long time. This is how players view it. A player sees only what's in front of him. What helps us be good now? And Stephon Gilmore would help those players be good now. The 2021 Patriots would probably be better with Stephon Gilmore than without him. And that is how Flutie sees it. And I get why he thinks that. He also looks at it from a player standpoint. What helps me have the most success immediately? Which What gets me paid? What gets us better? If we get better, then I get paid. If I get paid, I, get, I stay employed. That's how he looks at it. When players hear a rebuild is coming... They're upset. They're resentful. Here we go. We're about to play for someone who might get fired. In some cases, the new guy may blow us all out. Anyways, players don't want to hear that, especially vets. So when I when I suggest selling off valuable assets, Flutie wants no part of it. And a lot of fans think that way too. They want the instant gratification. But I'm not suggesting tanking. I'm not suggesting crushing the season. I'm suggesting trying to win, but also trying to get better this offseason, and I think trading Stephon Gilmore is a way to get better. I don't think this team needs a 31-year-old defensive back in the final year of his contract. If I can turn Stephon Gilmore into a couple of draft picks, draft picks come and contribute right away. They do it all the time. This isn't baseball 
where I'm asking you to trade a really valuable player for two 17-year-olds, one guy that's just out of high school and one guy that was signed in the international signing period. I'm not asking you to wait six years for a guy to pop. That's what happens in baseball. I'm asking you to get me two draft picks for Stephon Gilmore who are younger, who are more athletic, who are more physical, who can play right away and can contribute. I'm not advocating for tanking. I think the Patriots need to be smart about how they draft and spend money this offseason, but I am not advocating for tanking. I just don't think they're good enough next year to overcome Buffalo. And I don't think they're good enough to win a division. But I've said that once they get their quarterback, they can be in the playoffs in a year or two. And if they bring back Cam, I don't care who they have a quarterback next year. If they find lightning in a bottle in a more um, normal offseason, then they have every opportunity to be good next season. I'm not telling you to tank. But I do think trading Stephon Gilmore gives them the best opportunity the best opportunity to cash in on their assets and get younger. 31-year-old corners, I don't need that. I need two 24-year-olds, one guy who's a pass rusher and one guy who's a DB and one guy who's, you know, or one guy who's a lineman, whatever. Get me two guys. Give me a second-round pick and a fifth-round pick, and let's call it a day, and let's find players that can contribute right away because I want to win next year, but I also want sustainable sustainable success. That's how you win. Sustained success. Gilmore, I don't need it. So I get why Flutie sees it that way. And he and I are taping a podcast tonight. I might bring that up to him and bring up these points. So Doug, I'm not telling you that the Pats need to go 2-14. and 14. What I am telling you is that Gilmore is a guy who can yield two young players who can contribute. Young players contribute all the time. Okay, Alvin Kamara and Kareem Hunt were both third-round running backs, and I think Kareem Hunt won a rushing title his rookie year. Young players come in and do well. DK Metcalf was great last season. Young quarterbacks don't always pop right away, but every other position, they got a chance to contribute in the now. And that's what... I'm looking at it. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, WDEVradio.com. We'll step aside. We'll come back. I want to do crazy Twitter takes and who's saying what because it's kind of all together. Did Cam Newton get a fair shake in Foxborough? One analyst says no. I'll tell you why they're wrong. That's next on the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV. The internet, it's a really weird place. Where'd you hear that? The internet. And you believed it? Yeah. They can't put anything on the internet that isn't true. Where'd you hear that? The, the internet. internet. It's time for crazy Twitter takes on the Brady Farkas Show right here on WDEV AM, FM, and WDEVradio.com. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills! Crazy Twitter takes, Brady Farkas Show, WDEV. This one comes from Shay Pepler Cornett, who's filling in today on ESPN Radio. She says Cam Newton did not get a fair chance in Foxborough. I do think Cam Newton wasn't given a fair shot this year. And what happened and his numbers and his statistics and the way he was benched consistently, it feels like, in the third and fourth quarters a lot isn't representative of who he is as a player going forward, and he deserves another chance. That is just my opinion. Did Cam Newton get a fair shake in Foxborough? 802-585-3026. I, she's wrong, in my opinion. 
I disagree with Shea Pepler Cornette. He had an absolutely fair shot. There is a difference between being given a fair chance and being dealt a bad hand. There is a huge difference in that. Cam has absolutely had a fair shot in Foxborough. He started every single game that he's been healthy enough to do so. 14 games. We had the one game out for COVID. 14 games that he was eligible to start, he has started all of them. His head coach, his offensive coordinator, his team, they have backed him at every turn. The kind of confidence that you would could only ever dream of from your bosses, Cam Newton has been given. The team has never looked to replacing him. And, you know, the lack of weapons, Cam knew what he was getting into, and he chose to come here. That is not not having a fair chance. He knew exactly the situation he was walking into. He's been given the ability to run an offense that largely resembles his skill set in most cases. They've allowed him to to be a part of a run-based offense. They've allowed him to be a playmaker. They haven't forced him into one style of play. They've used the options, the designed runs, the quarterback draws. They've allowed him to run quarterback power. Carolina wanted him to sit back there and throw 42 times a game so they could protect him and keep him healthy. The Patriots have said, go be you. That That's what he could have wanted. He ran 15 times week one of the season against Miami. They've run options, power, draws. Cam Newton has run an offense that's conducive to his skill set. No one, nobody has has compared him once this year to Tom Brady. They've made it easy for him to transition into a fairly difficult role. And because of COVID, there's been no fans there to get on him. He hasn't been able to get the treatment of the local media in the way that other people in Boston do. So he's been able to be relatively isolated from criticism until really the late part of the season. He's gone largely immune from criticism until just the last couple of weeks. And COVID has made that easier for him. So Cam has had a very fair shake. What he's also had, though, is been dealt a bad hand, and that is different. Eight players opted out after he signed, made the team worse, made the defense worse. He saw the injuries happen, the COVID-19 outbreak. Other teams the Patriots played were relatively healthy. Last year, when the Patriots played the Jets, Luke Falk was a starting quarterback. Colt McCoy was playing for Washington. Andy Dalton had been benched a couple, you know, for multiple weeks prior to the Patriots seeing Cincinnati, so he was coming off. I believe that was his first game back as a starter, so he's coming in rusty. The Patriots last year got some breaks. Patriots this year didn't get those breaks. They didn't get those breaks for the most part, and therefore weren't able to capitalize on something. Cam signed late, which is tough. Like, what's unfair is Ryan Fitzpatrick winning three straight and being benched. Or Tua not being given the chance to grow and being yo-yoed with. That stuff is unfair. Okay, What's not fair is Baker Mayfield losing four wide receivers before a game. That's not fair. Cam Newton's been dealt a tough hand, but he's had every fair chance in Foxborough. They have stuck with him. They've remained steadfast in their belief of him, and that's all you can ask for. People who have confidence in you and people who continually Put you out there. It's the Brady Farkas Show on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. All right, let's get to it. Closing thoughts. Closing thoughts. Closing time. You 
UVM men's basketball is 2-2 two and two on the season right now, and they're going to play Albany coming up on January 2nd and January 3rd. And I think it's safe to say that the Catamounts are going to lose four to five games in conference play this year. And I, I was naive. I just assumed that they would roll like they've been rolling. They'd go 17-1 or 16-2 because that's what we're used to. That's not going to happen. They lost their first game of league play. To UMass Lowell, they lost their back end of the doubleheader game to NJIT. The no preseason concern is is very real. You talk about not being able to gel in terms of on-court chemistry. That's a real issue. Guys not even in game shape all the time. The playing back-to-back days in conference is a real challenge also. Okay, You may have an injury where a guy misses two games now instead of one. You have coaches that are able to easily adjust to you because they saw you the night before. Usually, you know, you play Albany January 1st, you don't seem to get until February 20th. Things are different. Things are almost exactly the same night to night. And coaches are able to more easily adjust and everything is more fresh in their minds. Bernie Saplicki joined me on the podcast feed. He's a thousand point scorer at UVM and a UVM broadcaster. He said the challenge of playing back to back nights in league is really, 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 really prevalent. I, I think it's really a challenge, um, the back to back, especially with the, the mentality and the mindset. There's no fans, there's no adrenaline. The, it, it's got to be all from within to be motivated. And if you're any kind of competitor, if you lose to somebody on Friday, you're going to be ready to play them on Saturday. If you lose them on Sunday, you're going to be ready to play them on Monday because you've got something to prove. The the level of preparation in college is different than high school or AAU. In AAU, you can play five games in a day, and you're just kind of going up and down. The level of preparation and the level of coaching that's in the college game, the ability to adjust is so much different. The playing back-to-back, it is challenging. Usually, you know, you win a game, you get three days off or so. Now you're playing right away. Someone's hungry. Someone's motivated. There's no fans. Yeah, the the, the Cats are not going to waltz through this league. They're just not. They might win it, but they're going to lose four or five games along the way. And you know what? This year, it doesn't matter. Every year we're concerned about style points when it comes to UVM. We're concerned about the non-league schedule. There was no non-league schedule. All UVM needs to do is play its best basketball at the end of the year and get to the NCAA tournament. And if they get there at 16-2 and two, or they get there at 10-8, and eight, it doesn't matter. Win the league tournament. Style points this year are irrelevant. They're irrelevant. I hope I, We just have to get to the NCAA tournament, period. I hope that UVM, like I don't care if they get a 16. There's no games for me to compare them to other low, you know, low and mid-majors. To say, oh, that's going to get him a 12. That's going to get him a 13. That performance is going to bump him up a line or down a line. Doesn't matter this year. Win the league however you do it. They're going to stub their toe. I mean, Anthony Lamb is gone. Bernie Andre was a transfer they were supposed to have in from Northern Arizona who I was pumped about. Like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, can shoot, long, athletic. You lose Lamb, you lose Daniel Giddens, you lose Andre. That's three big men that you don't have. Andre, who you thought you were going to have. Ryan Davis was hurt. He missed the first two games. It's just Daniel Giddens gone. It's a tougher sledding than I thought it was going to be. 
Catamounts are going to play again January 2nd. Brady Farkas Show, WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Thanks to the all-new Preston's Kia in Montpelier, home of lifetime oil changes and state inspections. Preston's Kia, family-owned and operated, and they will do whatever it takes to earn and keep your business. Podcast channel will be updated throughout the weekend. Have a great new year, everybody. I will see you again on Monday. Dinner Jazz with John Wilson is up next on the Friendly Pioneer of WDEV.